0: A
1: bagel. That's what you, Did you have. Sandwich. I have baggy yeah. sandwich. Oh, baggy sandwich. What do you have
0: on that baggy sandwich? I had the farmers. So it eggs. has a hash brown bagel bun, Okay. two eggs, ham, mm. bacon, mm. cheese, mm. pepper cream cheese, pepper cream
1: cheese. Mm. Okay.
0: Well, basically everything
1: that makes you fart.
0: Yeah, it'll make your toots smell like a gooch. You know what? I felt like
1: a complete idiot this week. So. I was recommended from Aldi. They have corned beef brisket, right? You put it in a crock pot, set and forget it. And I had it all done. I was like, okay, I got the Swiss cheese, I got the Thousand Island, good to go. And then I ate it. And then the next day, I realized we forgot to put sauerkraut on it.
0: I knew I was gonna say you're uh, missing one son, very important ingredient there. Son of a bitch. That's but all I can say. Still. Corned beef sandwich. Yeah, that's still yeah, was,
1: that's still a way to be. It was good, and I bought a little box of instant grits, so I'm gonna try to get into the grits game. Jesus, I, I don't know. I kind of we didn't grow up with grits, but I kind no. of am liking them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, have you gotten into the polenta game at all? Uh, uh-uh. uh that's G- expensive, isn't it? Grits and polenta, man. They're grits and they're polenta. birds of a, they're birds of a feather, and as we, we know, th- birds <laughs> of a feather flock together Mm. is
1: that a um i don't know it's important okay
0: okay just remember it they flock together birds of a feather flock together okay all right hello everybody welcome to another episode of the bumblebutt podcast the only podcast (laughs) on the internet that uploads weekly who knows what it'll be about this week it's me sitting across from me my name is adam sitting across from me as ever is cody hello hello adam did you do anything fun this week other than work?
1: Mm, no, not at all. I did work and work on podcasts and, yeah, worked on our taxes today. And, Ugh. yeah, that was... <laughs> <Ugh>. that <laughs> yeah, the bi- this is going to be the first year filing business taxes, so... We don't
0: owe anything, do we? I hope not. There's no way. I- and if we do, you need to write <clears throat> off your electricity yeah. and everything we've bought for the I- fucking podcast. I... I'm trying to I
1: have to figure out that part yet. Yeah. But uh yeah, working on that. We we ended the year with hardly any income left cuz we burned it all on supplies for yeah. said podcast, which yeah. is mostly buying supplies for <laughs> supplying the patreon yes so there's that but uh that's fine that's the whole point of it
0: yeah the patreon what i like about it right now is it's basically funding itself Mm -hmm. into existence Mm -hmm. which is nice yeah i would love for it to eventually fund us into existence (laughs) but for the (laughs) right now for the right now i'll just keep making fun stuff and uh and then mailing fun stuff to cool people i i think i realized today that being a
1: tax accountant might be the most boring job ever maybe yeah I mean, I know they—you get like unprecedented knowledge of how to do the American tax system,
0: but uh, yeah, but and yeah. how to do it dirty, right, yeah. right. Which is uh, there's nothing wrong with cheat as much <laughs> as you can, cheat as much as you're allowed to. That's what I say.
1: Well, maybe we wouldn't have so much income inequality if people didn't cheat as much as
0: they possibly could. Yeah. Or I mean, if they maybe. just donated all their money yeah. to the Bumble Butt Patreon, yeah.
1: yeah, I know we've talked shit a lot about you, Jeff Bezos, but come on, help us out, brother.
0: Get, come in at fifteen a month, bro. <laughs> we'll send you <laughs> fifteen fun cards. grand a, mo- 15, you, a yeah, month,
1: fifteen thousand. Yeah, you probably wipe your ass with that much money, honestly. <laughs> no shit, Bezos. Like Jesus, uh, what's his name was the richest man in the world for like two days, and then Bezos beat him again. Um, Carlos Slim. <laughs> I don't even know who the fuck that is. Oh, that's a
0: real billionaire. Okay, Carlos Slim. Yeah, he's a Mexican like businessman. Okay, looking to him for sub D. No, since it's... I stole this fucking top. <laughs> unintentionally stole this subject e- from Sub-D. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Oh, Lonnie. Yeah, I'm
1: sure he did something stupid and
0: brought his stock down again. Uh, he invested heavily in Bitcoin. Did he? That might have brought his stock down again. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, by
1: the way. Uh, Shout out to all the Redditors who really fucked over the hedge
0: fund, guys. Wall Street bets, right? Good job, (laughs) man. Good job. It's great. Thank you. Everyone's talking about how much of a nightmare it is, but it's like, I'm so grateful. Yeah. Fuck over those bastards as much as possible. Dude, so they brought to light
1: that... uh, I watched the interview with that Robinhood CEO guy. So they bought all them stocks, and then the rich people had to buy their stocks, and then that guy shut off buying stocks for GameStop, which I think is illegal. So it brought to light that there's somebody or some force behind the scenes that has that much pull financially to <laughs> pull that off, and everybody looks the other way. So, Insane. Yeah, who is this person? Insane. It, I don't know. It'd have to be somebody fucking on, like, Bezos' level as far as Rich goes. Like, shut it off. I know. Yeah, that's what they did, and they're like, why did you shut it off? And he's like... Wouldn't say nothing. Well, don't... Ugh. Yeah.
0: And that's not... Guess what? That's not fucking free trade, is it? <laughs> no. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to be covering Edie Amin, okay? Mm-hmm. The book we use is by a man named Mark Leopold. It is called edie Amin, The Story of Africa's Icon of Evil. So... Interesting title, by the way. I have been curious about edie Amin for... I would say he's been stuck in my head for a few months now. I mm. uh, I've always heard him as compared to as, you know, like a like the worst cannibal ruler that Africa has made post World War II. I'm okay,
1: from the little, you know, from the little bit I've gained of knowledge of him, uh yeah, he doesn't have a
0: great reputation. The Daily Show before Trump in 2016 before Trump got elected, they were running speeches where Amin would talk and then Trump would talk and say basically the same thing Amin did, so that's not he's good. been compared to everyone in the world Edie Amin has that's not good, yeah, that's not he's
1: dead now, right? yes, two thousand three he okay. died okay, yep. yeah, yeah, he's uh yeah, he's a character not necessarily in the good way, not in the t b s character's welcome in, way in the bumble butt way, yeah, he is a good character, I guess, but
0: in uh, Living in that country, he's not a good character. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. This book by Mark Leopold, he really shed a lot of light, and he calls out a lot of the inconsistencies in reporting and storytelling that happened. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of it and find a little truth somewhere in the middle between awful monster and uh, regular dictator, I guess. Uh, Honestly,
1: though? That happens a lot. Oh, yeah. In the subject matter that we dive into, i Yeah. It's legend.
0: Yeah. Legends, they, they get... The, the, the yarn gets longer mm. every time it's spun. It's always with the evil people, too, right? Oh, yeah. They always just compound on top of that. President of Uganda from 1971 to 1979, even though he's been out of power for 40 years and dead for almost 20... His shadow still looms over all of Uganda, and the rest of the world shudders at this supreme example of brutal, psychotic African dictatorship. In fact, Amin's name gets brought up in comparison to other African leaders, no matter if they are anything like him. So he's left quite an impact on that continent. Uh, Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) I thought you were going to say country, and then I was going to say I think you mean continent, but do you I, beat me to it. Do I look like somebody who raided the
1: Capitol building? No, you do not.
0: <laughs> I no, know you do not the difference between country and continent. Your eyes don't look like the. Yeah. Your eyes don't look like you're out of that Lovecraft town from Call of Cthulhu. Edia <laughs> Amin's place and date of birth are shrouded in myth and highly contested. Most accounts suggest he was born between 1925 and 1928 near the small town of Kaboko in the West Nile region, near the border of Congo and Sudan, to a Muslim father of the Kakwa tribe and a mother from the Lugbara tribe. A far-reaching rumor in Uganda is that his father was the king of Buganda, which is the largest of the three pre-colonial kingdoms, and after which the country would be named. Interesting. So, this is just a rumor. Definitely. So,
1: I mean... Technically, he'd, he'd be like Scar, kind of.
0: Yeah, we, well, except <laughs> cucked a little bit. Okay. His dad was cucked. That's the rumor. Oh, okay. Um, the the tribal pre-colonial era, like if you look at a map of Uganda, there's this part in the top northwest corner that's called the West Nile region, which is west of the Nile, hmm. as you can imagine. Okay. And uh, there's some preconceived. There's some preconceived notions, even before the colonial British showed up, about what those kind of people are like. Okay. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, like, okay. Like, not in a
0: good way? Exactly. Okay. We'll get into it. Gotcha. Okay. As for Amin, he believes he was born in the Ugandan capital, Kampala, and his haters would suggest that he wasn't even born in Uganda at all. Some
1: something like fucking
0: Donald Trump and Barry
1: Satiro, to be honest with you. Show me the birth certificate. Yeah, exactly. Jesus.
0: <laughs> the majority of Ugandans agree that Amin's rule was indeed a crucial piece in the collapse of the Ugandan economy and society, but the process only got worse after his removal. Could this be from um what do you call that? Stockholm syndrome. Oh, they love... Like on a global level. Yes, they're in love with Amin now after they saw what happened afterwards, maybe. Uh, I mean, don't some people say this about Saddam Hussein? They do. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. They do. The main ways Amin fucked the economy were threefold. He expelled the Indian population of Uganda, who had run the formal economy. There was internal disorder and violence created as a result of undisciplined military rule and Amin's nasty habit of making powerful enemies across East Africa and the globe. Mm, see, I've heard, I remember some of these, his, uh, his way he
1: made enemies around the world. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Amin was a bad, bad Leroy Brown, but his predecessor and successor, Dr. Apollo Milton Abote, was probably responsible for more deaths than Amin and over a much shorter period in time. During Abote's second stint as the ruler of Uganda, he ordered mass violence and executions towards peaceful civilians of specific tribes, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. genocide. Mm -hmm. So why, then, is Amin singled out as the great Ugandan boogeyman when he was sandwiched between a genocidal maniac? Amin was way too disorganized and chaotic to be called genocidal. He definitely killed or ordered killed anyone that got in his way and allowed his troops to carry out autonomous military campaigns based on personal grudges and wealth acquisition. And oh yeah, he did target soldiers from the neighboring Akoli and Langi tribes as he thought they were loyal to former President Abote, but there is no evidence that Amin ever rounded up their civilians for annihilation. Okay, no evidence. That's what the author says, no evidence at all. That's right, no evidence that he ever tried to genocide the Akoli or the langi as Abode definitely tried to do. Okay, could he have known that his autonomous
1: military groups were going to do it, he just didn't say don't do that? No, they didn't do it either. No, they didn't do it, nobody no. did it, just Abode
0: did it. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Cool. He would kill... Soldiers of the tribes, but not civilians, okay, I see what you're yeah.
1: saying. I got gotcha. you. yep, so well killing the soldiers' probably not the best thing either.
0: No, of course not, but let's <laughs> let's uh let's <laughs> let's scale we're trying to build a scale of okay. evil here okay bote genocide aka tried to cleanse populations of 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 of, of ethnicities, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, Amin was more warlike. It was He was killing soldiers, warriors, people that knew what they were doing.
1: Well, judging by the picture you sent me, I assume he really likes the general outfit.
0: Uh, yes, and also <laughs> sandwiches
1: in his oh, later he, life. He loves sandwiches. You got pretty chubby. <laughs> Is that the number one way to get chubby sandwiches? I think sandwiches, yeah. I figured like candy, sweets, and but I guess the carbs are the hidden fat makers aren't they uh carbs
0: just break down into sugars Mm. into your uh in your blood well they shouldn't taste so good that's the problem (laughs) now abote on the other hand in his second term did try and genocide entire tribes both in the west nile region and against the baganda of the luero triangle in the south of the country so the posh part of the country this (laughs) the posh part okay Mm -hmm. So why then is Amin more remembered as a butcher than a boté who definitely killed more people in less time? One reason is simple: homegrown Western racism. Amin ticked all the boxes of the typical male African: violent and uneducated, a primitive fantasy figure dressed in full military regalia, a great villain out of a Schwarzenegger movie, pretty much. I mean, yeah, he kind of he does have that look. I mean,
1: I don't know if I would if Joe Biden came out. In like a, a gilly
0: suit, I might be a little concerned. Gilly Joe. That's yeah. what I'm now that projects confidence. <laughs> if you're coming out on stage in a in a gilly suit. I mean, to
1: be honest, when Joe Biden was more bald he was more scary than the hair transplant, Joe, that we know now. I assume it's hair transplant, but I don't know. I mean, it looks good. Yeah. I don't know if it's
0: plugs or whatever, but.
1: I don't know. Joe, send me your guy because I'm going to need it in the next 10 years here. Uh, he was getting close to bald. Yeah. And Papa Joe's got a full head of silver well, hair now. Well, if you look at Joe when he was young, he was balding already, mm-hmm. so
0: he knew he knew the curse was upon him. Well, good for him. <laughs> Standing in stark contrast to that blatant, obvious, hardcore African figure mm-hmm. was a Bote. He was Western educated, always in a suit and tie, seeming to want to push Uganda out of African tradition and towards being a player in global diplomacy and world socialism. Once Amin assumed power, the British media immediately called out the primitive reversion of the country and made him notorious for his anti-colonial statements, wiping out the quote-unquote modernization the brutal Abote was trying to leash on Uganda. And this is my opinion, but holy shit, thank Christ, I didn't have to live through anything like that. Yeah. With two brutal dictators trying to pull the country in completely opposite directions.
1: Yeah, that would be, I mean, thankfully we've never really had to live through that in America. Nope. Uh, I think the closest we've gotten is probably <laughs> the last person, but... Uh, and that was nothing. Yeah, nothing, not like this. Like nothing mass that affected genocide. us, yeah. Yeah, like, I would imagine the Germans felt this, <laughs> Japanese felt this, mm-hmm. um, who else? I mean, well, I guess they didn't have two leaders, but uh, but yeah, just like insane genocide in your country,
0: in Indonesia,
1: Cambodia,
0: right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yikes. For some historical context, in the late 18 and early 1900s, before belonging to the British Empire, the West Nile region in the northwest corner of Uganda belonged to the Belgians' Congo region and it was considered part of North Africa. Next, it became part of the Anglo Egyptian Sudan and became a part of West Africa before finally ending up as a British colony in East Africa. So they just need to become South Africa to complete the triad here. That's it, man. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine being reclassified and passed around from colonial master to colonial master? So
1: you're telling me the fucking Waffle Boys were here a long time ago? Oh,
0: yeah. They were. And not even that that much long before. Okay. Fucking Belgians. You don't think about them. The thing about the West Nile region... Uh, when they were in the hands of the Belgians, they mm. were the Belgians were pretty hands off. They didn't put anything really into it. It was just a land grab territory they had, so okay. they could say they had it. Okay. Same with the Anglo-Egyptian; they didn't really mess with the tribes too much or anything. But once the Brits get involved, you know they get their dirty little hands and yeah. everything. Yeah, they loved. Uh, they loved their colonization, didn't they? Oh, they loved it. Mm. They thought it was the funnest game on earth because they were good at it. The residents of the West Nile region were stereotyped as savage, violent, tribal killers as far back as the mid-1800s when the slave raids started. Carried out by North African and Middle Eastern slave traders with superior technology, namely firearms, mm. these slave raids forced first contact between the four main tribes of the West Nile. The Lugbara, as we, as his, Amin's mother hails from the Lugbara, mm-hmm. the Kakwa, which Amin's father hails from and two others, the Maddy and the Alur, The slave traders organized raids into tribal territory to kidnap children and strong men to both strengthen their slave army or sell on to the Middle Eastern slave markets, or even exchange locally for valuable prizes such as elephant tusks. The elephant tusks. Okay, interesting. An entire economy sprung up around this exchange rate. One healthy slave was equal to one working gun was equal to one complete elephant tusk. What, what, what good is all these elephant tusks? Ivory,
1: man, <sighs> unbelievably expensive. Unbelievably. I mean, I mean, I guess people still
0: fucking poach elephants for this shit. So... They sure do. They made the rhinos go extinct by taking their tusks too. I. Uh, they're not extinct, yeah, no they. Black
1: rhino is right. The, the last one, one just the died. Wa- the w- <laughs> did it really just died. A couple wh- years ago, yeah. I know the white ones, I think, are almost gone now. Uh, quit quit poaching, especially dentists from Minnesota. Quit fucking going over there and killing rare animals, you yeah. asshole. There's still protesters outside his office.
0: Uh, that guy is such a fucking asshole. Uh-huh. I don't care what they say. By the 1870s, the Anglo-Egyptian regime, ruling Sudan to the north of Uganda, sent an army into the West Nile region to stop the slave raids, well, there an Islamic revolution occurred among the ranks of the slave army, and the deserting and they all deserted. Uh, they settled there in the West Nile. So, is this kind of where uh, Islam kind of uh, took over in Africa? I think Islam was uh, already uh, there. Well, not among the tribes, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, this is the rubber's going to meet the road because the British's divide and rule or mm. divide and conquer strategy. Mm. They would make half of them Protestants and half of them Catholics, so that way they'd fight each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: see how that turned. They're still fighting about that in yep. in Ireland. Yeah, they still haven't gave up that war. Mm-mm. Most of these unsullied soldiers remained and were incorporated into the British Army as the King's African Rifles or the K A R, where they fought for the Empire in East Africa and around the world. You know, when when I first heard this,
1: uh, I thought this was a brand of rifles. King's African <laughs> Rifles. Yeah. I don't know why. I when I first heard it, I was like, is that a brand of rifle from back then or what? But now I
0: get it. It's, yeah.
1: it's a military group.
0: Yes, that is uh the army of uh East Africa. <laughs> <laughs> the King's African <laughs> Rifles. Come and buy a King's African Rifle. I mean, you put King's African in
1: front of like any product. It sounds legit. King's African throw pillow. Yeah. King's I African mean, chair. there's a King's African MyPillow could take over because, uh, the MyPillow guy is in some hot water right now. Is he? Oh, you didn't see that they caught him trying to <laughs> tell Trump to just take over the White House or no. something? Yes, he did. That former crackhead is still <laughs> acting like a crackhead. <laughs> and I don't know how you're as rich as him and you still think like spray painting your hair black is a good look. <sighs> Yuck. What a, a Mike something. Mike... I don't know. He's he's getting uh, he's in hot water. Well, hey,
0: it's you
1: a... can't you can't be a CEO and go tell the president to just take over the White House by force. I it's don't... a
0: long fall from the top. Yeah, but I... he climbed his way all the way up there, and now poor poor little my pillow. I've guy. never even tried a my pillow. I don't know. They're are great.
1: They, are, you have one. Granny good? bought me a my
0: pillow. Okay. I fucking love it. Well, and when they start to get whatever, you just uh, throw them in the washer. Throw them in the dryer, they pop right back up to life. Really? Mm-hmm. God damn it. Why'd you have to be such a dick? Mm-hmm. Because of the constant conflict in the region, the citizens of the West Nile were seen as warrior folk by the British, less intelligent and civilized than the southern Bugandan tribe, and not suited for working business jobs, and certainly not allowed to have them. This is why many West Nilers joined either the military, the police, or the prison system. Idi Amin Dada, from birth, was caught up in this cycle. His father, Amin Sr., was in the K.A.R., and after he retired, he joined the police. Idi Amin grew up in and around the British military. He spent the majority of his youth at the bases of the 4th Battalion of the K.A.R. in Uganda's capital of Kampala. Amin was a standout soldier to his British officers. He was incredibly strong and would follow any order. He shot through the ranks all the way to Effendi, which was equivalent to a warrant officer in the regular British army. Of course, he could climb no higher because of his skin color. Only whites can run an offense for the Queen.
1: Okay, interesting. I Only mean, white officers. Yeah, I, I, with the British back then, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me in the least bit. So this was a a fa- fendi fa- how do you say that fendi yeah fendi
0: yep. okay that was it's like a sergeant major, it's like okay. the highest you can get without getting commissioned. So he'd be Effendi Am- 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 amine. Effendi Amin, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I, I
1: it's much cooler title than warrant officer. Yeah, that's kinda lame. I've never really understood what
0: a warrant officer is. Never. But, but uh, I don't know. Aren't they like the sergeant to the sergeants, basically? Is it? And then they respond they report to the uh, commissioned Officers Why don't they just call themselves Sergeant to the Sergeant 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm Sergeant to the Sergeant Maybe that's they what have Sergeant Senior, Major is they have, Yeah they have Sergeant Major, Senior Sergeant uh, Senior Staff I th- Sergeant I, I, <laughs> I think they uh, I think these ranks are based off Which branch of the military you're into But yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know There's what, too you, many. Are you telling me they don't have
0: an Admiral In the Army <laughs> I mean, They should <laughs> yeah. Those boys can't drive boats. No, they cannot. (laughs) Or fly planes. They're terrible. (laughs) All the way through the 1950s, as it became obvious Uganda was going to become a republic, the KAR began promoting black men to officers. In 1962, Amin was one of only two Ugandan commissioned officers in the military. The new nation's first president, Dr. Apollo Milton Abote, recognized Amin's worth and immediately promoted him to head of the Ugandan army. As it was the 60s, and the communists were gobbling up countries one after another, especially in the Asian hemisphere, as mm-hmm. we know, President Abode seemed like a uh, too much of a socialist. So with British and an Israeli funding, training, and advice, Idi Amin staged a successful coup in 1971. Everyone in the world celebrated. Okay, yes, I remember this, because Abode
1: was going to have the... He was basing his country off... Was it somewhere in South America he wanted it like? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Very smart, my okay. boy. Okay. And I we'll we'll this. get into
0: that. We're okay. still in the overview.
1: Okay. How I'm old is you. he? Okay, so if it's seventy one and he's maybe twenty three between nineteen twenty three and nineteen twenty eight. Yeah. And it's
0: nineteen seventy. So he's sixty? Fifty, something 50? like
1: that. Yeah. Fifty? Yeah. Hmm.
0: God damn. Well, the world would stop cheering pretty quick. By 1973, both the Israelis and the British had cut off diplomatic ties with Uganda, and Amin had expelled the entire Asian population, most notably the railway workers that were brought in for the Lions of Savo episode.
1: <sighs> he didn't like them.
0: They uh, they were running they were running basically the formal economy, right? They were the business owners. Mm. They were doing like unnecessary farming, like for luxury fruits and stuff like that, sugar. That okay. was all under the uh, that was all under the Indian owner class. I was
1: going to say, yeah, it was India, if I remember right. Um,
0: isn't China doing this right now? That's like exactly what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's the, the this is all going to happen until until <laughs> until Africa is fully developed. Yeah, nations are going to keep keep money in into there. it, basically colonizing yeah. without actually being called colonizing. Is basically what
1: well, it is. from what I heard, is. Certain countries in Africa don't mind China being there, but the problem is, is that China will not hire the people of the country. They'll fly in Chinese people to work there,
0: and that's malarkey. Yeah, yeah, that's malarkey. Uganda's infrastructure and economy would crumble. Formerly Asian-owned businesses were being taken over by military men, and as such, the army was falling apart as these soldiers would mm. then go on to run the businesses. I mean, can you blame them? No, you cannot, especially not when they had control to go do this yeah. if they wanted to. Like,
1: can I be in the military or can I run a nice coffee in B&B? Exactly. I mean, it's pretty, pretty easy option here.
0: We got to get this curry smell
1: out of here. but
0: <laughs> Jesus. Isn't that Indian? Don't they eat curry? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to say that, though. Uh, I'm going to try and get away with it. (laughs) From 1977 to 1979, there was no military, practically. Amin and his staff were living lavish, Scarface-style lives and had all but abandoned their military personas. All the while, exiles from Uganda were forming groups to overthrow Idi Amin in neighboring countries. Why do they want to overthrow him? He's not even, he's just sitting there, isn't he? He doesn't have
1: anything to do. (laughs) Well, he's hateful. Like, that'd be like me coming to steal your job right now when you don't have one, right? I mean, technically, I mean, no offense to you, obviously. you're
0: I'm on unemployment. But I'm just saying, like, it just seems like a silly thing. I think they want the pride of their homeland back. Mm, Okay. In 1978, Amin ordered what was left of his army to march on Tanzania to raid towns and then ordered a full-out invasion of the Kagera Salient, a stretch of Tanzanian land on the southern border of Uganda. Mm. Yeah, I remember. He does. He, he has a history of not liking this area. He wants it. Yeah. He wants it for himself. Yeah. In response, Tanzania launched a counter-invasion with the help of Ugandan exiles and deposed Amin after a rigged election in 1980, Dr. Milton Abote would return to power in an era known as Abote II. (laughs) According to most historians, Western and African alike, Abote II resulted in far more deaths than Amin. In 1986, at the end of a brutal civil war, Abote himself would be overthrown by a Tanzanian-backed coalition and replaced by a mean fella named Yoweri Mueveni, who is a brutal combo of Amin's military might and Abote's political intellectualism. Yeah, he doesn't sound like a guy you'd invite over for game night. Unlike Amin and Abote, however, Museveni has been able to keep himself well-liked by the major world powers, and he still rules to this very day. So he's that bad, and he's still, he's still ruling it. He's not th- Like I said, it's all shades of gray. Okay. Like, Western right. racism wants us to c- color them as bad, 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 bad. But what do you do? Independence. You're trying mm. to break away from your colonial master, and you're right. also trying to like be taken seriously on the world stage. Uh-huh. I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, unless you have a strong personality one way or the other, I don't know how you would bring that about to happen. That seems like a Herculean task. Mm. I, I see what you're saying. Amin's reputation snowballed every time a new book came out about him. Each author would add their own flair and embellishments in order to sate the racist American and European thirst for blood. In the most popular works, Amin is portrayed as the exact opposite of Western society's self-image. He's hypersexual, animalistic, underdeveloped, stupid, and a buffoon. He was seen as something to both be feared and laughed at. Seven books would come out during his reign, and they would all further the legends of the one before it almost manufacturing him into a mythical beast like a chimera or dragon or even a demon. Thank you, Mark Leopold. I mean, that that part was straight up him. It's so good. That was
1: his quote there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Mark Leopold, I mean, I'm assuming if your name is Leopold, you have to be British, is going to toss some truth
0: bombs in here. That's what he does. Mm. I mean, that's what he does. Okay. Evil according to Mark Leopold, in modern English, is based on the boogeyman, the witch, those who deal in the sexual mistreatment, abuse, and murder of children, as well as cannibalism and human sacrifice. Mm. Some, some would
1: say uh, Hillary Clinton's
0: Saturday Night. Yeah, the true witch, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so basically, in comparison, the other books would kind of be like how the QAnon boys view Hillary Clinton. Like they've made up all these crazy fucking theories oh about my gosh. her. I got
0: to tell um, you about, and we'll get to it. Okay. One of the authors of these books, he pretended to be two different people from a different oh country. Oh my it's, God. It's, and the stuff that he makes, oh my gosh, I don't want to give it away. <laughs> okay. I've written it and it's nice. <laughs> Representations of Amin in the West have declared him the evilest of the evil. But there is no mention in any of these books of Amin being a pedophile. However, rape and sexual violence were par for the course, as was killing. And he's certainly been accused of cannibalism. So he checks a few of the boxes of evil, Mm. like the witch version of evil. Okay. There were many examples in the books written about Amin's rule associating his violent and brutal way of doing things with his tribal heritage. Now, these are books that came out. During his reign. direct yep. Okay. And they were written by either people that knew him or that served, that he served under, British officers. They make up a lot of the authors of the books. Okay. And, and uh, there's a couple historians, including a lady who uh, was like his biographer from the beginning. So there's uh, quite a few embellishments in that one, too. Gotcha. Okay. The Kakwa tribe, of which Amin hailed, and the newbie, also from the West Nile region, were considered murderous and primitive by the Bugandans in the south, and of course, considered as mouth-breathing savages by the British. Do you think, okay, so you mentioned there's basically, what, four
1: main tribes? Of I, the Northwest. Of the Northwest. Of the West Nile region, yeah.
0: So if... <laughs> and these Bugandans are in the south. They're, like, considered to be smart and advanced by British, okay. British standards.
1: Now, here's my theory. What if... The, I mean, obviously, the author's probably embellished. What if they were getting their information from the other tribes that were racist against that tribe or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, what if that happened? Oh. Well, this is
0: systemic. This is from, like, they recruit only from the North and the Northwest because they're considered stupid and savages. Gotcha.
1: Okay. I'm just envisioning it like... If you were going to be a historian of oh, Wisconsin, yeah. um, I don't think you're going to say very
0: nice things about them. I'm going to call them mouth breathing <laughs> savages, is probably what I'm going to call them. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Wisconsin. Here's a small example of how legends can be blown way out of proportion from Diane Law's book, The World's Most Evil Dictators. Wow. At home, Amin kept a harem of wives and an estimated 25 to 35 children. He had in his home a collection of trophies from those he had killed. When one of his wives, Kay, had died in a bungled abortion attempt, he insisted that her legs and arms be removed and reattached with the legs at the shoulders and arms at the pelvis as a warning to his other wives. He kept the head of one of his wives' former husbands in the freezer. Among many others was the head of Ruth Kobazinche, a one-time girlfriend whom he had suspected of infidelity. One nurse testified to decapitating six bodies and sending their shaved and preserved bodies to Amin's home. He also confessed proudly to Henry Kiemba, the Ugandan health minister, during a dinner party that he had eaten the flesh of his human victims on many occasions. Okay, Are
1: are you sure you weren't reading the autobiography of uh evander holyfield
0: whoa <laughs> evander holyfield
1: did this shit he <laughs> thinks so. well he has 25 to 35 children oh, yes 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 and yes. many wives yeah oh um, my gosh. but anyway no hey, the champ needs <laughs> to spread his seed <laughs> he's uh, it's either him who has a lot of kids or it's that cornerback i can't think of his name he played forever why not both i could be i mean both of i know Holyfield has at least eleven or twelve. With I think they're all different mothers. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. um, yeah, you can imagine why he's not doesn't have money anymore. Well, I assume every professional athlete has however many children as there are teams in the league they play in. <laughs> <laughs> they hey, have
1: a, that's a good theory. Yeah.
0: There's plenty of athletes
1: who have like salt wives. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like they they have just wives. like one. Well, probably, but they have their family. Where it's one wife and the kid, you know, they're nine kids. They always have a lot of kids, yeah, though. With the main one. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's because most of them are, like, very staunch Christians or whatever, whatever religion. Or uh, they're hypersexual could be. baller athletes. <laughs> could that, be. That got a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah, you see, what's his name? That running back for the, uh used to be for the Texans. Came out and said he was um, atheist, and he's never played down to football again. Wow. Arian Foster. That's Arian Foster. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so I've never heard any of this before.
0: <sighs> this sounds made up. I mean, I, I don't know. But does it or does it because of the examples we've seen so far of like, because if I just read this in World's Most, if I bought World's Most Evil Dictators and used that as the... uh as the guide I'm sure I would be reporting this as fact just like Diane Lane did True yeah but if you heard Saddam Hussein
1: or um Stalin or Hitler did this stuff would you be surprised I would probably say the fucking vicious madman I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's the thing I don't know it's hard to say we but I've never I've just heard that he the war stuff I've never heard the him doing this personally
0: Okay, yeah. Or So, yeah.
1: in my in my experience, but then again, I don't know that much about African
0: history, so... Me either. It's, I'll tell uh, you what, but doing a crash course is really fun. Yeah. I wish I could get way deeper into the history of Uganda, because things are com-fucking-plex I in Uganda. Been, just think about this. How
1: annoying would it be if you would have invited Yasin here and you're telling him all this stuff, and it's just in his personality to contradict everything you say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, no, in Uganda, (laughs) it was actually the Nubians and this and that. (laughs) It's like, come on,
0: dude. Oh, he loves loves thinking he's right about stuff. (laughs) There is no proof for any of these claims outside of the seven books that were published during his rule. Diane, I believe, was just doing her best to compile the worst of the worst about Amin. For another voice into the Amin rule and life post-Amin, we turn to journalist Daniel Kalinaki from a 2019 newspaper article. Today is 40 years to
1: the day Idi Amman was driven out of power by the Tanzanian soldiers and Ugandan exile fighters. Yet, his eight years in power cast such a dark shadow over the country that it is common in foreign countries for one's Ugandan identity to immediately trigger people to start talking about Amin. It doesn't matter that he died in 2003, or that eight out of ten Ugandans alive today were not even born when he was ousted. Amin is a stubborn stain on our
0: socio-political fabric. Truth.
1: Okay. There I'm you sure. Go.
0: I am sh- absolutely positive. Especially people that were around in the 70s. If somebody were to come through and say, "Hey, I'm from Uganda," they'd be like, "Idi Amin, right?" I'm sure of it because you- he was a household name. Everybody knew him. Do you think that,
1: because obviously, okay, my understanding, maybe you get more into this, is that Amin and Abote were like tight. Then, At first they were. Yeah, and yeah. then Abote, or I mean, Amin, Amin took over, then Abote came back. That's Could right. Could Abote have started any of this to turn people against them? Ah,
0: either? I don't know. Oh, like propaganda.
1: Old, old school stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, or just a Bode supporters, you know? Yeah, I I don't know. It's hard to say. I I could say Donald Trump eats babies, and and maybe somebody would write a book about that in the future. Do you think—no, but
1: seriously, do you (laughs) think, like, 30 years from now, when people write about Donald Trump, how much shit do you think (laughs) will be written in there that— probably didn't have stretches the truth yeah i, yeah, I could I see think, a lot of that i think it'll be
0: like silly putty over a
1: radiator yeah, but we'll we'll, for the most part we'll know the truth about uh we will he did plenty of bad stuff without having
0: to um add to it uh, let's take it way back to the beginning for the birth of little edie amin dada shall we the birth of him sometime between 1923
1: 1928
0: A fanciful version of his birth was written by a scumbag white guy from Rhodesia pretending to be two Kenyan journalists. It's pretty racist and enforces the stereotypes common with the Africans and certainly was meant to bolster Amin's image. January 1st, 1928. It was the twilight hour, the brief span between the end of another African day and an African night. Inside the hut was already dark, fetid with the smell of a woman's labor. She lay on the wicker bed moaning and sweating. The village midwife grunted as she wiped the woman's brow. It was going to be a difficult birth. The baby was bigger than average. The mother moaned as another pain confused her. A great agony racked her body. The midwife struggled, stumbling in the dark as night came down swiftly. The labor continued far into the night while the midwife cursed and comforted and the father snored away his fatigue in another hut. (laughs) He's just sleeping during the birth? Okay. All right, Dad. In the morning, the long hours of pain were ended. The new baby was at least 12 pounds, if not more, and the women who crowded into the hut were overcome with awe. Outside, the men of the village laid down their tools and, dressed only in genital cloths, settled down to celebrate the birth of their fated leader. Inside, the mother nursed her son and dozed, exhausted. She was sick of the pain and the struggle for existence.
1: So this was written by a a racist Rhodesian man. Right, pretending to be two Kenyans. Okay, like, I feel like this is how BTK would write something like this. That's just stupid. What the fuck? Why has he got to be so poetic about a
0: birth? (sighs) Like, who won? I mean, I guess. He explains later when he's outed, right? As yeah. being a Rhodesian guy. Yeah. He explains, listen, I had to sell this thing. And he was actually like tight with uh Amin. He got inside really? sources, yep. So okay, I don't know that much about Rhodesia, but
1: I do know the MAGA boys love it. Do they? Yeah. Don't they wave the flag around? The I Rhodesian think you're right. Flag I and... think you're right. Well, that's fucking strange, isn't it? Yeah, very what it... okay, here's the thing. <laughs> what if this guy's fetish was just like African women giving birth, and that's why he mm. spent some... Like, this just is hot for him.
0: This was supposed to be... <laughs> Started out as an erotica for him. Yeah, this was supposed then... to be Dear Penthouse Forums, <laughs> but he accidentally wrote an Edie Amin biography. Amin's mother, Aisha, was a traditional healer and a midwife, according to most sources. She was even hired by the Bugandan royalty to advise at their court for a while. Aisha was the second wife of Amin's father, And his first wife was fucking pissed that she was bearing him children when she could not. She spread vicious gossip all over the place that Aisha was sleeping with the king of Buganda and the baby was actually his. So his father was a polygamist. They all have multiple wives, yes. Really? Yes. Usually, and this is from, this comes straight from Amin's son Jafar's account of his father. And Jafar says, Usually, the first wife is selected by the father, and the second, third and fourth are your own choice you you can choose your third second third and fourth wife mm. so
1: you just had to give him the lamp and then he produced
0: the story that's right that's right
1: I, is it just me? I'm not a big
0: fan of like the polygamist thing
1: I don't understand. it. I just think it's very I would get jealous and well, not that...
0: even if they're not doing anything. I would be like, well, you should be jealous yeah, I like I... monogamy. I just like it.
1: Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, I just feel, I don't know, it just seems like the men who always are involved in it are, just seem kind of gross, to be honest with yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Like, I know in America it's mostly the Mormons who do this stuff, and it's always, like, one creepy old dude and a bunch of young girls who don't yeah. have a choice, and it's just like...
0: It's, it's Nexium, you know? Yeah, it's just, like, creepy. And, like, the that creepo from Tiger King that had, like... <laughs> five girlfriends i guess we whatever. i wait um oh
1: not not the main guy okay yeah were you as mad as i was that he didn't get pardoned because i really wanted. i pardoned. really wanted another season of he should Tiger have been king. pardoned and carol king takes do you know do you know why he pardoned uh little wayne i didn't even know he was in jail was he in jail? I guess. I didn't even know he was. Or did he, like, does that, like, expunge his conviction or whatever? Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. I just heard <laughs> he let little Wayne out.
0: Well, hey, good for I him. don't know. He needs it. Yeah. Well, the story from here goes that because of the rumors about possible cuckolding, Amin Sr. was persuaded by tribal elders that the baby should undergo a paternity test, which actually meant leaving baby Amin alone in the forest on the slopes of Mount Liru, the home of the Kakwa people. After leaving the baby in the wild for four days, the elders returned to find Edie still alive. Aisha claims that Nakan, the legendary seven-headed serpent, had saved him, insisting that Nakan wrapped itself around baby Edie for warmth, as it would do around its own eggs. That's... Pretty badass. I'm it's not awesome. Gonna lie. They said when they when they walked up on the scene, uh, Yakan was resting all seven heads on the baby's head. And when the when they saw the elders, elders, it looked disapproving that they would question this child's heritage. <sighs> and then it slithered back off into the woods.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say either they're lying about the amount of days he was out there, or this to really lived. Yeah,
0: yeah. So those are the only two options. Yeah, they here. said he was smiling and giggling and mm. marking time with his feet, which I assume means uh, just like kicking his feet around. Uh, yeah,
1: I, you, I don't think a baby can live more than 12 hours without being fed. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah, but I guess I don't know. Unless we'll... there was a seven-headed
0: serpent. <laughs> Nakan is here for us all, man. Mm-hmm. What a badass creature. When a mean Sr. returned with the baby... Aisha strode in with murderous intention in her eyes. She placed a king's African rifle on the floor and uttered a curse at her husband. If this child is not yours, let it languish in poverty
1: and misery. But if he is your blood, then let him prosper and succeed in this world to the highest position of the land. And may you, his father, not see any of his wealth and prosperity.
0: With that, she stepped over the rifle to invoke the powerful magic. The couple divorced shortly after. Mm-hmm. Aisha and Amin Sr. were damaged beyond repair because of the magic. Mm-hmm. From this point on, Aisha had a reputation of not only a healer and a midwife, but now of a prostitute and a witch. You see, uh, magicians, it's all about perspective. hmm Right here. You and know. women don't uh, be... I don't know. She got fucked. Yeah. It was like... They were quite thinking she was fucking around on a Amin Senior with be- the king of Buganda and then uh and uh, and just, now she's a prostitute. Just because of the lie
1: from his other wife. Yep, his first wife that was Baron. Okay. This is another check mark for monogamy here. Definitely.
0: <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise you're fucking jumping over rifles spin- spitting curses mm, at people. Mm-hmm. According to one story, the very night she put the curse down, she slung baby Amin over her shoulder and set up camp in the woods on the outskirts of a K.A.R. base and would read fortunes and brew potions. More accurate accounts confirm that she was indeed a camp follower at some point, but the witchcraft is probably just racist, sexist conjecture. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I would assume the tribe themselves
1: uh, had a lot of... If you like throwing around the word witchcraft, right, right, which I is just, fine. That's what we'll call it for the yeah, purpose of this. Uh, yeah, it's just like I don't know. Think about old times here. Uh, there's a groovy lady or an old lady hanging out in the woods by herself. She's a witch. She's making my dick not get hard. And She's what they killing were, the crops? What
0: they were doing was p- praying, like mm. just because it didn't look like Christian praying. It was more ritualistic, I guess. But Christian praying is pretty fucking ritualistic. Yeah, but it's like It just didn't look like it. You
1: know what? Honestly, Instagram might be the greatest thing that's ever happened to the witch community. I think so. Because... Witches of
0: Instagram. I see that hashtag all the time. Look,
1: you got such a large crowd of them, then the younger girls are getting involved in it, or guys even... Uh, and they're like, and oh. they're not
0: getting witch shamed yes. by the witch hipsters that yeah. are out there. They're like, you don't like it, you're yeah. not doing it right.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's helped yeah. them grow. He's got all the little branches of spiritualism. Yep. I like it's it. Great. It allows
0: yeah. it allows people to explore whatever they like.
1: I think we might over the next twenty years get pretty wild with the spirituality in america well
0: fucking somebody open up a portal or something <laughs> like let's go <laughs> where do you want to go lovecraft world okay lovecraft. put me in the garden you of want Eden. monsters and yeah. shit okay. well i just want to die
1: <laughs> <laughs> i just
0: want to die by cthulhu monster
1: well what happened to the plane hitting the back of your car
0: yeah, that's good, but mm. I almost think that's less likely mm-hmm. than Lovecraft Monster. I It's funny,
1: at work, uh, everybody's got a morbid sense of humor, and I told them about the way you want to go out, <laughs> yeah. and the look on their face when you tell I'm like, yeah, I guess you probably wouldn't feel it, but I don't know the chances of that
0: happening are pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hey, that's a dream for a reason, yeah, my friend. Yeah, exactly. It's a fucking fantasy for a reason. <laughs> Remember when I told you the Brits took over Uganda in 1894? Well, they'd been laying the groundwork since at least 1877 when church missionaries showed up in the region. They reported back to the Brits that there was widespread slavery in the region, and as the shining beacon of human rights that the empire was, they moved in to
1: open up East Africa for legitimate commerce and replace the slave trade. More
0: than likely, they just wanted to control the gold mine Mm. of elephant tusks that were in the region. The Brits wanted the elephant tusks. Oh, ivory, baby. Why don't Mm. you got to remember ivory, baby? That was a huge commodity. Did they?
1: Yeah, I guess they needed pianos. They needed them. They needed them. And the American cowboys needed them for their fancy six shooters. I need an ivory inlaid handle with some
0: pearl to really make it shine. That was a big thing, right? Oh, yeah. Ivory ivory, grips. Yeah. 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 If you were a fucking dandy boy, you had, or ivory cane, ivory, I mean, everything was ivory over here. Well,
1: it's a good thing now that Jeff Bezos uses rare animals as a slide, so. Yeah. He just stockpiles dead rare animals and just slides down them and gets to work. Yeah. Yeah,
0: He's got a slide (laughs) slide of of rhino rhino horns. horns. That's how he gets to work every day. (laughs) (laughs) The Great Ugandan Railway broke ground in 1891 and wouldn't be finished until 1902. It was a massive financial investment into the region that would pay for itself in the transport of ivory to the coast in Mombasa from the Great Lakes region thus catapulting Uganda into the growing world capitalist economy. Do you know what else comes with protectorate status from the British, Cody? I do not. Forced military conscription. Oh, it's not good. In 1914, the Brits sent a young plucky officer named Alfred Evelyn Weatherhead to take over the region as district commander. His main job with World War I looming on the horizon was recruitment. Okay, now here's first off. Um,
1: we think of British names sometimes as a little silly. Apparently, in the early 1900s, they were even worse. They were the silliest.
0: <laughs> Alfred <laughs> Evelyn
1: <laughs> Weatherhead. I mean, honestly, if my last name is Weatherhead, I'd kind of be digging it. But uh, I would assume I was a, a native, you know? Yeah. <laughs> native American. Okay, so he wants African soldiers to
0: fight in World War One. That's right because guess what you know who else has claims in Africa right next to the British claims the kraut boys that's correct yeah and, i've played uh, i've played call of duty 3 or 4 i think that was world war 2
1: Oh, well, I th- <laughs> yes, right. right. But they also still yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, but... yeah. I ju- I remember they had like a whole campaign of fighting in somewhere in Africa. I don't Man, remember where. Man, there was
0: a game that came out, console exclusive Call of Duty. And yeah, there was an African campaign. That was the worst game I've ever <laughs> played. I wish I could remember what it was called. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I haven't played one of those in so long. I think it was a Call of Duty. Yeah, either way. This went poorly at first. When the war broke out in 1916, he had only found 14 that were fit to fight. By the end of the war, however, he had recruited 300-plus. Since most of these recruits went willingly, the population didn't mind sending a few boys off to the army. So what the, he would do is go from village to village, and the elders would say, yeah, 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 this guy's either a troublemaker, or he's got what it takes. He mm, could use some this, toughening up in the forces. I guess it's one way to get the troublemaker out of town. Mm-hmm. It's See? like sending him to the wall, you know, <laughs> for the Night's <laughs> yeah, Watch.
1: Is, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about 300 out of how many people died in World War One, a lot yeah was not it 20000000 A lot. Yeah. Wasn't it 20 million? A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was $20 so yikes. A lot. Yeah. In 1917,
0: the Brits stepped too hard and introduced taxation into the region. For the first time, the people of the West Nile would have to learn about and understand currency. This forced several young men to either go work on a sugar plantation or join up with the army, police, or prison system. Do you know the only alternative to paying tax? Forced labor for absolutely no wages at all. How is that any different from slavery, which Britain came in to try and eradicate from the region?
1: I don't know. You'd have to ask Alfred from Batman. I'm going to um, have to ask Alfred Weatherhead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. That's fucked up. Yeah, Were they but gonna that's kill the way of doing things. So was the threat like prisoner killing them if they didn't?
0: Probably. Yeah, prison, 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 prison. prison, prison, Yeah. Prison. I I, I got lost for one second. Oh, no, it's good. I was like, what did I say? What did I just say? (laughs) Concurrently, as the British were going around imposing taxes, collecting boys for the service, and or forcing them into labor, Uganda was also hit by outbreaks of smallpox, meningitis, and blackwater fever. Oof. Blackwater Hell. fever is a complication of malaria in which the red blood cells burst in the blood, releasing hemoglobin into the bloodstream and urine, almost always leading to total kidney failure. I mean, that sounds
1: like a fun time. Oh you can't have blackwater anything and it's not it's never good.
0: Oof.
1: Oof holy shit. Did they is this been eradicated pretty much, I wonder?
0: I don't think so. I think Oof. it's still a complication, a Yikes. potential complication of malaria. Yikes. Then, nineteen eighteen, they were hit the gr- hit with the granddaddy of them all, the Spanish flu. Yeah, what? How many people in the world
1: was this? sixty million? Yep. Yikes. Uh, I mean, and that's the last pandemic before the one we're in right now. Yeah. Uh, we're we're. I know a lot of people uh, are denying it, but we are. Currently in the mutation stage, yes. so yeah. um, that's only going to get worse if it keeps mutating. Let's, let's not let it mutate, please.
0: Play Plague Inc. on your phone <laughs> and then realize that's exactly what this is. <laughs> mutate equals bad. Now, all these epidemics led to an interesting phenomenon called the Yakan Movement, also known as the Ala Water Cult. The Yakan movement was a healing movement whose main tenant was drinking a potent, hallucinogenic brew which came from the same seven-headed serpent which protected Amin from the brutal paternity test. When the epidemics of 1914 to 1918 came about, followers of Yakan blamed the Europeans and drank the juice as they had done with epidemics in the past. Huh. You can imagine... They had absolutely every right to blame the British because who else brings fucking smallpox and meningitis? <laughs> those are white people diseases that, <laughs> that people don't have cures for. So they obviously brought those epidemics. Right, right. Where's the water in this? It's, you know, there's water in it somewhere. Okay, somewhere there's just... <laughs> it's like a beer, kind of. It's like a brood, or I guess more like a kombucha or whatever. Mm, but mm. there's some hallucinogenic properties that I'm, I'm not sure of in it. Isn't
1: there? A, there's a lot of tribes in Africa. They love the hallucinogenic um, chief or spirit or what medicine man thing. Yeah, you, yeah, right? yeah, for sure. They go on the voyage and whatnot. The vision quest. Yeah, vision quest. That's your favorite movie. Yeah, I love that they, movie. They have to heat. They have to hallucinate and watch that movie for two days straight and
0: learn how to be the best <laughs> wrestler there is. The British, of course, started accusing the Ala Water cult of being a coordinated conspiracy against their rule, resulting in some 15 chiefs and hundreds of other residents being illegally deported. Well, if they didn't hate the British before, they absolutely yeah. did now. Yeah. Amin Sun Jafar said that after that, the Akani Order was a fully radicalized anti colonial force and began incorporating European symbols in their rituals, like cash boxes and round built or square buildings as opposed to round buildings.
1: Gotcha, okay. Uh,
0: they it was definitely aimed at them. They hated money. So they probably like
1: st- Sacrificed its shortbread cookies and uh huh, uh um, uh-huh. and uh pantaloons uh, and and knickers, shitty tea. Mm-hmm. They outlawed toothpaste. No, they started using toothpaste and <laughs> They started
0: flossing. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, bitch! I'm gonna start flossing. Take care of these teeth. <laughs> Floss right in front of you, bitch. <laughs> All of this happening in the West Nile region further drove the wedge between northern and southern Ugandans. The Southerners had a special relationship with the British and were encouraged to grow cash crops. They were educated by aristocrats, and they were allowed to keep their kings and nobility in a ceremonial sense, of course. Mm. Meanwhile, the Northerners were perfect fodder for the military and would keep the Southerners in check, all while the British were the ones actually pulling the strings. If the citizens are too busy hating each other, they'd have no time to realize how fucked up it is to be a colony. And that is called divide and conquer. Is this a tactic they did like set up colonialization? The North? Divide and conquer. Yep. You create. You fu- that's what I'm you funnel in Protestants. You funnel in Catholics. Convert the populations. They'll fucking hate each other over an interpretation of the Bible. And all of a sudden, you get to do whatever the fuck you want as a colonial master. Okay, interesting. It's brilliant, and they mm. do it. They did it across the world. That's why the sun never set on the British Empire. <laughs> So the real enemy is the British. Well, no, the Catholics mm. and the
1: Protestants. The ultimate weapon the world the world's never known. No doubt. Yeah, and we just need a shitload of them. Just send them to Wisconsin. Oh, take it. Although the Lutherans have a oh. stronghold
0: over there, they're pretty powerful. I think they would cast They'd out. They crumble. Yeah, no, I think they would cast out. Invaders, the Protestants and the Catholics. I think we're gonna need a
1: lot of them. We're gonna need at least 10 per (sighs) Wisconsin village. Uh, Definitely move them in there. Definitely. (laughs) I like how they're
0: they're village people. Well,
1: yeah, we're not calling them cities, they're villages over there.
0: They're loose collections. (laughs) This was the storm Edie Amin was born into. He had the whole deck stacked against him. He was considered inferior as an African in a European-dominated land and doubly inferior as a resident of the West Nile region and the Kakwa tribe. It would be an uphill struggle. Just like the mythical circumstances around Amin's birth and babyhood, his childhood to puberty are no different. There is a childhood anecdote that Amin would show his strength over the village children by grabbing and crushing their testicles (laughs) in his giant bare paw of a hand. Uh,
1: Okay. I mean, I don't know what kind of childhood
0: game this is, but uh, I guess it works. (laughs) This was made up by the Rhodesian author who pretended to be two Kenyan journalists. It has since Ah. become official record in the British Library and the U.S. Library of Congress. Hell, yeah. This lie. So... Okay, you
1: said this Rhodesian author, author was Amin's boy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's probably like, "Yeah, yeah, I write that in there that I crush balls, big bear paw. In there and crush balls of little kids when I was I was such a badass. Hell yeah! Okay, he said
0: anybody that would step to him on the playground, he would he would crush. <laughs> okay, their nuts. Could Amin
1: be responsible for a little bit of his prop- own propaganda here?
0: Yes, okay. and he would tell wild, outrageous stories up until his death about yeah. crazy shit he I, did.
1: I, I think you're going to get there, but I heard the one about uh, the queen that he talked about. Oh, you not didn't, in this you one. Not you didn't this hear one. this one. Yeah. Oh, no, I heard it, but it's yeah. not in
0: this one. yeah, yeah, okay, we'll save it. Most accounts agree that Amin's parents split up shortly after his birth. Amin's mother was working with the royal family in South Uganda, and from ages four to eight, Amin lived with his father in West Nile. There, he attended and completed the Arua Muslim School. When his mother Aisha married a retired soldier, however, she moved away from the royal court and sent for her son to be educated at Sheikh Mahmoud's Madrasa for Garaya. And from 1937 to 1940, he lived in the posh South Ugandan capital. What the hell is Garaya? So the Sheikh Mahmoud's madrasa for garaya is a finishing school for uh Muslim education. Okay. A true Muslim edu- he went to basically grade school from 4 to 8 and now he'll uh, he'll he'll conquer the rest of it with Sheikh Mahmoud. Okay, I
1: got okay. So this would be like if instead of Going into seventh grade, I stopped Catholic school. Uh huh. I continued Catholic school mm. for the rest of the way, or at least another couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. I have a body full of tattoos just from going up to sixth grade. Yeah. In Catholic school, if I went all the way, oh, I didn't know what would happen. Well, to me. you'd be
0: in the ground already. You'd probably be a fucking heroin addict. Dead uh, <laughs> one. I would probably be raiding the Capitol. There you yeah, go. I not out. Have- <laughs> yeah, this there probably would go. be what, what would happen. While at Sheikh Mahmoud's place, he was top of the class in reciting and memorizing the Quran, and also helped his mother fulfill her indentured servitude on the sugar plantations. That is clearly where Edie developed his hatred for the Indians, as they are the ownership class. Amin attended several protests, intending on rioting against the injustice of northern Ugandans being denied the same educational opportunities as the southerners. This was all when he was 12. Although beaten and arrested for taking part in the riots, Amin knew the only exit from semi-slavery and a life full of hardships would be to join up with the King's African Rifles. Mm. The K.A.R. formed Amin. He was a strong, willing lump of clay, and the rifles turned him into a stone-cold, order-following killer. His reputation of superior strength, lack of intelligence, dumb sense of humor, and his quick use of violence came from this time in his life. Are you going to use the, I heard the phrase of what they called him, uh, the nickname.
1: I don't know if you're going to bring it up later. Is the, it not the Dada, right? No, that no, 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 no. What do they call A neck with no head or something like that? Oh
0: my gosh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I
1: don't have that in here, but I wish I, <laughs> that is so fucking funny. Or something like is something like Phil kept saying and it, it was pretty funny. That is so fucking Just funny. Just basically meaning that
0: he's all combat, no brains. yep, yep. yep yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's racist. It's so racist. (laughs) They call them wooden heads all the time, too. Oh, Jesus. Okay. The K.A.R. was originally created in 1902 by combining three previously existing regiments. They were the Central African Regiment, the Ugandan Rifles, and the East Africa Rifles. Now, this is all the countries not just uganda right this is the king's african rifles when they came together these are the three that came together they had four or five battalions across the east african countries gotcha okay
1: who was it Who was uh victorian charger on this time right deuce. gosh probably yeah Damn. i mean it's a queen's commission so yeah it has to be yeah i mean she god have they had like a an actual king in fucking forever. God, they've been always oh, been George. dead.
0: George was the last one, right? King George he's, in he's World been, War Two. He's fucking dead forever. But then, the only one that's been after him is Liz. Yeah, what I'm saying, she won't. <laughs>
1: she's like mortal.
0: Those fucking hats. I know, and her can't her bo- kill her with them her, hats. Her boy's gonna die before she does. Probably. <laughs> well, he looks like it. Oh. <laughs> In World War I, the K.A.R. were instrumental in capturing the land of, of modern-day Tanzania from the Germans. This is likely when Amin's father served, and afterwards he was rewarded a plot of land in Arua Town. The K.A.R. held firm to the Turkish fashion, and soldiers were forced to convert to Muslim and learn a conversational foreign form of Arabic. For Amin, who grew up in and around British forces, he was already streets ahead when he joined. Okay, so the soldiers in the K.A.R. made him uh, convert to Muslim. That's how it works. If you're going to serve, you you convert to Muslim and you learn this con- conversational Arabic. Mm, I mean... But I mean, already formally educated in the Muslim way and grew up in British Army barracks since he's he was a baby. Go.
1: So basically, um, we could kind of associate the K.A.R. with the NFL. Because you better convert Christianity Christian. or... Uh, you're not going to last long. And you better thank God first in every interview. <laughs> every touchdown, hand to the sky. Even when you see the rapist, uh, Ben
0: Rothsberger, thank
1: God before every press conference. Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, Ray can, Lewis I...
0: did too after they won the Super Bowl. He, yeah. he grabbed the mic and started talking all about God. Ray yeah. Lewis, you are a murderer. <laughs> of two people. Mm-hmm. Two people. Multiple murder. In World War II, the K.A.R. fought against the Italians in East Africa, the Vichy French in Madagascar, and the Japanese in the Burma campaign. One thing was crystal clear. The British military recruited on the basis of racial, physical characteristics, getting their totals from the Akoli people in the Central North and the West Nile tribes of the Northwest and Edie Amin was exactly what they were looking for. Mm, Because he's a big boy. Mm. Big boss boy. There are several conflicting stories of when and how Edie joined up officially, but he justified his recruiter's racist ideas about his natural ability as a warrior, and he excelled at sports and games, which the British officers held in high regard. Amin got bit by the boxing bug, and in 1953 became the Ugandan amateur light heavyweight champion which some claim he held undefeated for 9 years and we can't be certain about the length of his reign but he was a successful amateur boxer that's okay. for sure I, for some
1: reason, when you first said that, I thought, he, I thought you meant lightweight champion. I was like, didn't we just say he had hands like a, a <laughs> giant ass hands? Like I figured he'd be a big... Uh, even from the pictures, he is a big boy. Oh, yeah. He's a big boy. Yeah. He's a light heavyweight. Yeah. Mm. So he actually did fight in World War II. Ooh, see? Uh-huh.
0: More fucking uh, okay, who knows. Okay. Mm-hmm. More who knows. Some say. Some say he took down Hitler himself. Some say he fucking chokeslammed Hitler through a table. (laughs) In 1949 and 1950, Amin did a tour of duty in Somalia and was reportedly attacked by a crocodile, leaving him with a nasty scar on his ankle that he would show to friends and family. He also fathered two children by two mothers on this tour. I mean, sounds like, honestly, if he
1: just lived in Florida, he'd he'd fit in great. God. He'd he'd be right at home. Just join the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) have <laughs> you played with the miami dolphins seriously actually no jacksonville jaguars oh yeah you're more likely to get
0: eh, are you more likely Jacksonville's to... way more trailer parky than yeah.
1: miami but is there more crocodiles alligators there what about tampa bay mm, yeah I, I think further south as we get to the swamp three football teams in florida yeah i
0: think tampa bay maybe uh maybe he'd fit in the best i bet that's where the crocs mm. are Yeah. We don't know whether or not Idi Amin Dada joined up before or after World War II ended, but we do know that he was heavily involved in the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya. Mau Mau was the name of an anti-British, anti-colonial secret society made up of native Kenyans hell-bent on an Africa-first mentality. The British government, of course, saw this as a major problem and activated the K.A.R. to take care of the insurrection. Between 1952 and 1960, Mau Mau fighters killed 32 white settlers, 195 colonial police and army, and 1,800 African civilians. The response from the K.A.R., 20,000 rebels killed. 150,000 civilians imprisoned, and of those, almost 1,100 hanged for Mau Mau Mau-related crimes. Holy shit, that is a lot of dead people. Amin's company in the K.A.R. was heavily, heavily involved in this slaughter. Former K.A.R. officer Ian Graham sounded almost in love with Amin when he wrote the following about how much of a pleasure it was to command Edie.
1: Not only did I admire his devotion to duty, his innate gift of leadership and his endless enthusiasm for whatever military tasks that we had to perform. But I found him genuinely likable. These feelings, I know, were shared by every other European in the battalion. His low intellect was only a minor hiccup. Yikes. Holy shit. Keep that
0: last sentence in mind. Everyone <laughs> yeah. everyone thinks that. Everyone thinks he's a big, stupid, dumb, stupid idiot. Okay, is there any, any truth to this? Yes, you can, you can probably.
1: A, look, it's okay to be a meathead. You can There's be, a lot of but you heads. can also,
0: boy, underestimating somebody just because of their race and size. Mm. And yes, maybe he was stupid, but he was by no means like dumb. He understood yeah, how yeah, to play yeah, yeah. the fucking game. Is the yeah, problem? Yeah, yeah.
1: You know what? You got to say though, a lot of these guys who turn into dictators, they know how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that they're great diplomats or anything. No. They're just. They know how to control. It's like that they game. know
0: how to be a cartoon and how to get the attention, and then that attention results somehow mm-hmm. in votes. Mm-hmm. I have noticed uh, from the
1: true crime world, you can have like really dumb serial killers or killers who can become—I don't know—have like a weird way of controlling people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I like controlling them to get their end result, or even cult leaders. Yeah, there's a lot of Straight dumb cult manipulation. Yeah, yeah, so. I don't know if you have to be smart to pull just off charming. things like that. Yeah, yeah, charismatic, I guess, yeah. would be a better word there. But, yeah, I'm assuming this guy's doing it in the old
0: thinking context. This boy, of... this boy. if we were to look at him, and by this boy, I mean Edie Amin. No, no, who's the author here? That, oh, Mark the, Leopold. Uh, well, they took the quote. Took the quote. I just oh, this is out. Ian Graham, one of his former commanders.
1: Okay, yeah. So I'm assuming he's... In uh, that old racist
0: mindset there, all white yes, officers were, yes, they all does. thought of them as uh, uh, just savage meat meat sacks, basically. Mm, mm-hmm. Graham, like he said, wasn't the only one with a high regard for Edie Amin. When the officers of the King's African Rifles finally realized the empire was crumbling. The muscular super soldier was one of only two selected to break the race barrier and become commissioned officers. If the regiment had to be handed over to African control, Amin was seen as the one that would ensure at least some British tradition was upheld in the unit. At the dawn of the 1960s, Idi e. Amin Dada had spent his entire adult life being told what to do by racists mm. who thought he was genetically stupid. Gotcha. He perfected the persona that endeared him to the British. He was blunt, honest, none too bright, but tough as nails, hilarious, and wholly trustworthy. This image of a cute little stupid scrappy African lapdog would prove very useful later on in his career. The British army taught him how to manipulate his superiors into thinking he was a stupid, savage stereotype, and they also taught him how to kill. So this is part of his game. That's what I'm thinking, and that's what Mark Leopold
1: thinks as well. Gotcha. Okay. All right. You know, I guess that kind of leads back to what I just said like two minutes ago. (laughs) Yep. Um, Manipulation. Yeah. Manipulation's, I don't know, it's scary. Yes. I mean, if people know how to wield it, it's very dangerous.
0: Especially when feelings get involved, where it's like you can really hurt people by
1: manipulating them. That's why you just said, yeah, don't underestimate someone uh, no matter what they look
0: like. That's right. Yeah. On October 9th, 1962, Uganda gained independence, electing Abode as their prime minister. Abode's main focus was a fully African-run Uganda, decolonizing the nation. Things didn't change that much for Amin or the K.A.R., except for the name change. Uh, They were now rebranded as the Ugandan Rifles. Mm, It's too bad they couldn't
1: couldn't have thought of, like, three letters to use there, like Ugandan... Rifle Association. Oh my God! <laughs> they could <Uganda> said... send <laughs> RA, URA. They start they showing been... up
0: at school shootings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they
1: could have started sending out crazy ass letters to the citizens. It would have been great. <laughs> Ugandan Rifle Association.
0: Oh there you man, know. you know what sucks? Uh, what? The gun range that I like to go to. You have to be an NRA RA member in order to be a, a a member of the gun range. Oh, bl- trust me, we know. Not every NRA
1: person is insane. Uh, Yeah, but it sucks to get their mailers and their newspapers. I don't know who's in charge of that aspect of it. I assume shareholders or whoever runs it or whatever, but uh, that shit's nuts. I hate that even part, a small amount of money is going to fund them. (laughs) I've gotten one letter from them, and it was like during the Obama administration. Uh It was like the craziest shit I've ever seen. During the
0: ammo scarcity,
1: probably. Yeah, Yeah, it's... They had some wild shit on there. Yeah, that had to be around 2013, yeah, 2014 it w- maybe. It was just like, what? even I didn't pay
0: attention, I'm like, none of this shit is real on no. here. Come on. White British officers remained to oversee the transition to African office. And the whites continued to run essential infrastructure in the country like the roads, rail, mail, and telephones, as well as the police and prison system. Now, correct me if I'm wrong,
1: but the British were kind of leaving here at this point because they were, like, bankrupt, right? Yeah, the
0: empire was—they were getting out yeah. of the colony game. They were finished with it.
1: But they were in financial ruin, too, right? Didn't World War II after that, like, hurt them a lot financially? Lend-lease program, baby. Yeah. America took some of that, that's for sure. Did they? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they did. They made a lot of money off selling weaponry. Lend-lease other... program. Yeah. Look at
0: it. It's good. <laughs> We, we came out like fucking bandits. Mm. Everything non-essential from retail to commercial farming was still being run by the Indians who were descended of those that built the railroad. Decolonizing and putting all of these jobs in African hands would be a long and confusing process. Within the army, the change to Africanization was glacial. The white officers found the changes difficult to accept, and the best of them were transferring to other elements of the British army. Two high-ranking former K.A.R. officers agreed in their memoirs,
1: saying, Africanization should have been started low-key much earlier at the end of World War II. Instead, we have to give them a crush course which, which coincided with Abote's rhetoric of African-za- Africanization
0: now. Yeah, he wanted whites out. Abote wanted whites out. He wanted to start. I mean, shit, that's a pretty funny, uh... Like lights out, but whites out, (laughs) whites out, get them out. So he wanted them all to leave, but
1: before they left, he wanted them to make sure they trained everybody. They still
0: had colonial Mm. obligations to, oh, they had the obligation they had to do to make transfer of, uh, transfer. Yeah, in the first weeks of 1962, just months before independence, the newly Queen's Commission Lieutenant Amin led his platoon to a routine cattle rustler shutdown in northwest Kenya. These cattle rustlers were Nguatella from the Turkana tribe, and there were about 800 strong and using rifles they acquired from a conflict with Ethiopians. For the last two years, they had been conducting raids on Ugandan settlements. According to official British reports, from 1960 to 1962, there were 157 raids carried out with approximately 20,000 head of cattle rustled. Just stealing them? Yep. I think it hanged for that. Yep. <laughs> High-ranking Ugandans publicly chastised the Kenyan government for not putting a stop to the Turkana raids. On February 14th, the Kenyan Prime Minister called for the arrest and seizure of property of all Nguatela. Kenyan and Ugandan elements of the KAR were activated and sent into the region. The after-action report found that Lieutenant Colonel Hartley, the white military commander of the operation, had gone far beyond just arresting all the Nguetala they could find. He was ordering his units to put all of them in thorny enclosures and keep them in the burning sun without water for up to 48 hours or until they gave up the location of their weapons stockpiles.
1: Now the Nguetala, what are they exactly? Just They a are rogue? a
0: subset of the... Uh, Tar- of the
1: uh uh Turkana tribe okay, just like kind of like a um militia group almost right
0: R- they're kind like a, they're like a sub they're like a family oh is that not like a family, but do you know how okay like Hmong people you know how they divide themselves by their last names yeah 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 this would be kind of like that so okay. they're all Turkana but these are like the Noguatela version
1: okay so okay so they but they are kind of like a rogue. Thing, I would doing say. Their own thing I would here. say, yes. They're just stealing cattle. Mm hmm. Okay. They're basically you playing Red
0: Dead. Right exactly. Now, but in real life. But IRL. <laughs> Amin's platoon was the gold star unit of this mission. After the first week, Lieutenant Amin and his boys had rounded up 231 Turkana men, 313 women, and 450 children and head of cattle. He was holding all of them in a place called Laputhk. A British Foreign Office report had this to say about the condition: the men were put in a zareba of only 450 square feet, which, although it never held more than 183 men at any one time, meant that they would have had to stand or lie on top of each other. Sometimes they were forced to lie on their backs, staring up at the sun. They had no shade and were under intense heat. But Lieutenant Colonel Hartley and Major Rogers confirmed that this was in accordance with their orders. Amin had his tent under the tree where the machine gun was mounted, pointing at the Zariba in case they tried to run. The Turkana chief commented afterwards that this wasn't a system to collect rifles, but to kill men. So the Zaribas are thorny- uh, uh, walls that they they put up usually to keep out lions and stuff like that. Mm. So mm. he had them fenced in with this. 183 of them in a 450 square foot plot. Yikes! And Holy he was just shit. torturing them and burning them until they. Uh, Amin was. Uh, no, Lieutenant Colonel Hartley, but okay, Lieutenant Amin was there. There and he had lavishing. his gun. He had his gun pointed at him. Right? His machine gun, yeah, his big Yikes. belt-fed machine gun. He had it pointed in in the pen. <laughs>
1: How bad do you think he wanted to use it? You I think with a wat- guy,
0: I think with a guy like that, if they like being violent, mm. I think the temptation is there to spray that trigger. Thank God he didn't just watch Predator because oh. this would have been a mess. Mm.
1: Didn't Arnie use one of those?
0: Uh, I think you might like be thinking the- of Stallone in. Uh- oh no, you're absolutely no, right. He, yeah, he, he had has a belt the gun and he's like, yeah, he's like feeding it. Yeah, yikes. The report concludes that although the responsibility of the cruelty and ill-treatment of the Turkana prisoners rests on Lieutenant Colonel Hartley, the beatings that cost four out of five of the prisoners killed there were ordered by Idi Amin personally. <sighs> Jesus. So how many... He didn't swing fists, but he ordered people to beat people mm. until they either uh, gave up where the weapon stockpile was. If he is a manipulator, I mean
1: that... Sounds like something a manipulator would do, like, like when uh, uh, the Ant Hill do Kids, him. yeah, when he yeah. made uh,
0: them do all that fucking shit. He loved it, Rosh Rossario. I still yeah. remember his name. That's how fucked up he was. <laughs> yeah, that's he... a good series. I think people should listen to that. One.
1: That is a very good one. Um, I was gonna ask here. Did you say how many of them got killed out of the prisoners? Yes, five, uh,
0: seven total men died.
1: Okay, out of the 130... 183, 183. that were being held
0: in the Zariba, right? Oof. Just from being beaten to death. <laughs> Four out of them from being beaten, and the other three from heat mm. and dehydration. I always thought getting beat to death would be like the worst way to Fuck go Fuck me, I know. Oof. In total, Operation Utah took the lives of 118 Turkana people. During the ceremonies and celebrations that independence brings to a country, Amin was probably worried that his historic rock star career in the military was over. The Turkana incident was now an official name, and incidents don't get official names if they don't result in a full inquiry and disciplinary action. Mm, so he thought this was going to tarnish his uh, his uh, career. He probably thought he was going to military prison. Yikes, holy
1: hell. Uh, yeah, why Operation Utah? I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. <laughs> is there a single sure. Mormon there? I don't know what the <laughs> fuck is going on here. I
0: don't know if there's any Salt Lake dwellers out there. <laughs>
1: Apparently, there's a lot of polygamy, but I, I mean, yeah. God. I don't know.
0: As luck would have it, the incident got lost in the cracks during all the hubbub. 18 days after Independence Day, an inquiry was announced, but it never happened. Amin kept on shooting up the ranks. It wasn't even a roadblock. He was promoted to major in November 1963. With the promotion came Amin's introduction into a world as of yet unknown to him, Ugandan politics. In the Obote administration's first year and a half, it became clear that the army was dissatisfied. They were rightfully miffed because they were still being commanded by majority white British officers, and the pay for the African soldiers was abysmal. Two issues were bothering the new government. They wanted an air Force, and they wanted a second battalion for the Ugandan rifles
1: you know when 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 Phil and I were talking about this, like obviously it was like rapid pace, right? So it made it seem like a boat, he was like fucking shit up instantly, mm-hmm. but for the most part, for the first year and a half of his takeover, outside of like him not fulfilling his promises, it sounds like he didn't do too much messed up shit,
0: yeah. That's, he didn't have it in, pl- he was still trying to force out some mm-hmm. to put jobs in African hands. It, it's, it, they were a colony. They For went from a being a time. bunch of spread out tribes to being owned to being, now they have to be a, a republic. Like, yeah. It's like a uh, culture shock. How yeah. about everything yeah, catch yeah. up in 20 years? Right. Right. I couldn't imagine. No, that'd be hell. The British were absolutely fine financing the second request, the battalion for the Ugandan Rifles, but they did not want to spend Air Force money on a colony they didn't own anymore. So Abote went to the Israelis. They were more than willing to train Ugandan pilots, sell planes on the cheap, and fully train African officers for the Ugandan Rifles 2nd Battalion. Abode was trying to start a dangerous chess game between the British and the Israelis, playing them off each other for the supply of guns, ammo, and training facilities. As we will see, the British hated being run around on with the Israelis, and Idi Amin hated the Israeli way of doing things. This would lead to an unlikely friendship between the Brits and Amin, a friendship aimed at defending the traditional Northern Army recruitment and promotion patterns. The stage is set for Amin's rule in the stunning conclusion to Idi Amin Dada Hell coming yeah. next week. Well, first thing, um if Amin was
1: born and raised as a Muslim, and I imagine around this time, uh they probably weren't the biggest fan of the Jewish people, I would imagine. Right. Um, so that kind of makes sense. But right. yeah, I I ca- now you're saying that last part, I kind of slightly remember the feeling anti-semitic things oh uh, yeah. happening oh uh, so yeah. yeah now you just kind of hit that little light bulb in my head but this is honestly great because i'm learning a lot more about him um yeah maybe he's not the insane dictator that people make him out to be please
0: realize yeah. he is a bad man still but yeah he is like you said uh Uh, subject to legend just like anyone Mm. else or Mm. anything else Uh, as time goes on stories compile
1: you know everybody loves legends but sometimes it's better to know the truth and not the the myth because before we got into the true crime podcast right i can honestly say when i heard x y and z's killer serial killer's name i had this idea in my head that i has always heard and then finding out, oh, it actually wasn't that at all. You
0: know, it's a good feeling. Yep, demystifies. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. It takes away the power of the monster. You realize, oh, these guys are just fucking incel dorks <laughs> that are fucking assholes.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, and obviously, we're going to learn a lot about this guy. I'm excited. I'm learning a lot about uh, the British colonization. They're bad people. Yeah, remember that because yeah. we were
0: once one as well. We had to shed. Ooh. We had to shed our own colonial mm-hmm. oppression. Hey, you can they.
1: You know what? I'm not saying forgive past sins, but they're pretty, pretty passive people now. Nowadays, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they. I mean, from my understanding, they barely even have a military anymore. Yeah. So was it Queen Elizabeth then? Who we no, was it still her? Who was running? Who was was it? The king still when all of it fell apart? Yeah. Um. Um. It, it was George. I think. Okay. Was it Liz? I don't know who decolonized. I don't know. Imagine if it was her. That was 1950. Or sixty, and it's two thousand twenty, and she looks healthier than fucking um, I don't know some actors in Hollywood at this yeah. point. George Clooney. Yeah, uh, I was trying to think of Mickey Rourke. Oh my god, she's hotter than Mickey Rourke. Definitely. And
0: I don't even know how old Mickey Rourke is. Whoa,
1: <laughs> but yeah.
0: Uh, however old he is, add thirty, <laughs> and then you'll like see what he actually looks like. But yeah,
1: that's uh, it's fantastic episode. I'm I'm pumped for part two. Honestly,
0: great. If all of you out there listening to it, I know it's not exactly true crime. It's Mm. a little more world crime. uh, Our fans like history. I'm just going to say that. That's good. Mm. And if you do, let me know how much by uh, dropping an email, going to our website, bumblebuttpodcast.com, typing it in the form submission. We'll be able to see it and uh, read and respond to it on air also while you're clicking around on that website why don't you stop by the merch booth and uh buy a t-shirt buy some stickers you know just just give us money hell yeah Uh, another way to do that would be to go to patreon.com slash bumblebuttpodcast donate at any level you're at uh, you can get eight pristine things (laughs) straight away eight pristine episodes hell yeah right no waiting no waiting uh, we've got some new people to think here, Adam. I would like to hear them.
1: Hell yeah. Let's thank Ursula. Ursula. Thank you so you much.
0: Absolute legend.
1: Uh we need to thank Jenna. Jenna, thank you, you absolute so much. Legend. Now, we're gonna thank Joe one more time. Joe Longhorn.
0: Yeah. I've I, seen it. I, I
1: don't know what you're doing, Joe, but <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Any level. Yeah, thank you so much. Whichever one eat, you
0: finally eat, decide on. Look, I'll be eat. fine.
1: He's just he's indecisive with his levels, uh, but uh, thank you so much, John. It takes all Joe. Sorts.
0: It takes all sorts, Joe, right. and we appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, contact us on Twitter at BumbleButtPod, Instagram at Podcast, and please smash that follow button on Spotify. Oh, yeah. And also, if you're a, 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 a true monster, <laughs> if you're a true fan, you'll go over to the purple icon, uh, Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star written review so that way we can shoot up the charts and become famous. Looks like we got another one.
1: I would like to hear that. Let's hear it. It says "My Favorite" by Folgers McLean. Folgers McLean. Real name, <laughs> Real name <laughs> I promise you that. McLean. I love this show. I listened to all episodes during quarantine and felt like I was hanging out with friends. Besides making me laugh, the topics covered are often stories I haven't heard before, and these guys sound like sweethearts. Thank hey. you for being a friend. Well, I can guarantee- Thank you for being a friend. Like this episode. Travel down You the might have back heard back of this guy. I don't even know. Some people are like, you know, foreign dictators or whatever. Your it's kind of like whatever, but uh,
0: you're going to learn something. You're you're new. You're going to learn. You're going to learn, you're dude. You're going to learn today. <laughs> Cody, do we have any other orders of business to get to? We don't. We're ready to roll. Son of a bitch. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Once again, my name has been Adam. That has been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Oh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week. Uh, Have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.